This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. I want you to turn in the Word of God this morning to 2 Kings chapter 6. And as you do that, I'm going to read a verse uh, from Romans chapter 8. So 2 Kings 6, and let me just read one verse as a text from Romans chapter 8. (coughs) Verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then in 2 Kings chapter 6, reading in verse 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servants saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Obviously he thought there was a spy in the camp. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And a servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So it was when they had come to Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink, and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them, and after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian rulers, raiders came no more into the land of Israel. Amen. There are uh, a few 
uh, portions of Scripture throughout the Bible that graphically illustrate the inescapable fact that even though we live in a material world, a visible material world, yet it is actually governed by an invisible spirit world. Daniel 10, Ezekiel 28, Ephesians 6, and others uh, very graphically illustrate that fact. And so there are three realms that you and I, all of us, have to contend with. First of all, the kingdom of this world, this visible, tangible, material world of the sense realm, that which we can see and we can hear and we can touch, we can smell, we can taste, that which is obvious, everything around us. Now, we didn't choose to come into this world. Uh, we were born into this world. It was not of our choosing. Uh, we didn't choose to live in this world. But we certainly have the choice whether to live for this world or not for this world. That's the choice that all of us have got. And Jesus got it right in John 15 when he said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. James 4 and 4, James said, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And John said in 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, when he's talking about the world here, he's not talking, obviously, about the beauty and the grandeur uh, of, the, of the world that we see around us. Uh, he's not talking about uh, our loved ones and our friends, and even Jesus to love our neighbor, even to love our enemies. So he's not talking about that. But what he's talking about is this world system that we live under. And how many know that this world system is not for God? In fact, it's anti-Christ and anti-God for the most part. And we see that continually where governments, including our own governments, are making laws that are not godly. They're not scripturally or biblically based at all. They're secular. They're outside the realms of God's ideas that we see in Scripture, how words should be run. So when it talks about the world, love not the world, that's what it's talking about, the systems that run this world. And so we may be in this world, but as believers, we're not of this world. Uh, we can't do anything about being in the world. As long as we're alive, we're going to be in this world, but we can choose not to be of this world. There's something about the believer's life that is different than this world. Then there's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. We'll, we'll just, at this moment, use those two words interchangeably. There are differences, but we'll use them interchangeably. So this is the, this invisible world that's governed by God. It's his kingdom. And even though it's real and literal, but it's invisible to our natural eyes. And the, and the only way the world is going to see this invisible world is through us because the kingdom of God is 
within us. And so that's the only indication of God's invisible kingdom in this present world that they're going to see. And it has to be through us. That's why our testimony has got to be good. Because that's what this world sees. And except God chooses to draw back the curtain, uh, then we're not going to see it. In Luke 17, verse 20 and 21, Jesus says, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Or some translations say, is in, is in the midst of you. And, you know, taking it literally when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he was in the midst of them, and he's the king of the kingdom. And now he, by his spirit, lives within us. Are you still with me? And so this kingdom, the kingdom of God, this is invisibly represented on earth by the church. One day, it will be literal and material on the earth. But right now, it's within us. And the only kingdom of God this world is going to see right now is within us. And then, of course, there's the kingdom of darkness. The Bible calls Satan the ruler of this present age. And there's no question that his influence is everywhere. His fingerprints are everywhere in this world. In Ephesians 2 and 2, Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. And in Ephesians 6, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we talked about spiritual warfare and, and, and how there's a, a hierarchy within even the demonic world, the evil spirit world. And it talks about spiritual wickedness in high places and we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the kingdom of darkness. And so while... Men live in the kingdom of this world. They can choose to live for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. It'll either be one or the other because that's the only choices you've got. And there are two laws that govern these two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And they're found in Romans 8 and 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death governs the kingdom of darkness. And we were part of that at one time. The law of sin and death was working in us, in our members, the Bible says. But whenever we get born again of God's Spirit, something supernatural happened to us that we cannot explain. But we were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light from that kingdom into God's kingdom. And we were made free, set free, made free from that law of sin and death. Doesn't mean that we don't sin, but our propensity is not to sin. And if we do sin, we have an advocate for the Father, John says, Jesus Christ the righteous, who can forgive us our sins. And so, back to our story in 2 Kings 6. Basically, Satan governs by fear and God governs by faith. And those are two 
opposing but powerful forces. In this world, the enemy of our souls governs a lot by fear. Now, there's hate and all of that. We don't get into that. But by fear. But in God's kingdom, faith is a power that God governs by. Now, he governs by love too, but by faith. And God has given every one of you believers the measure of faith to help you live this Christian life. And so we're going to look then just a few moments this morning at this story again. I know that it's familiar to many of you. And let me just remind you of the context, how that the king of Syria was planning and plotting uh, war against the king of Israel. And Syria was a mighty force. It was a powerful force, had great arms, much stronger than Israel. But the prophet Elisha, whenever the king was in his bedchamber, making these plans, thinking out loud, God was causing Elisha to hear the king of Syria's very plans. Isn't that amazing, isn't it? He could hear every word he was saying to him and to himself and to his, his generals. And so then he told the king of Israel, said, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, because that's, you'll be ambushed if you go there. So they didn't go there. And obviously then the king of Syria thought there's a spy in the camp. He says, no, it's the prophet Elisha. He knows every word you're saying. God reveals it to him. Well, I, 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 need, I need to get him. So he got a great army together and sent them to Dothan. And they surrounded that little place where Elisha and his young protege was there. And so the next morning, the young man up first went out maybe to get some water. He opened the door and suddenly he saw this mighty, mighty army of Syria coming for one little man. And I want you to notice his reaction and then I want you to see the prophet's response. One was the reaction of fear, the other was the response of faith. And every battle of life that you and I face as believers, that will be our choice to respond by fear or respond by faith. And this will determine how well you can through your battle. First of all, the reaction of fear, verse 15. Alas, master, what shall we do? Fear only sees the problem. In every direction he looked, all he could see was the problem. In every hillside, in every nook and cranny, all he could see was the Syrian soldiers armed to the teeth, and they had a fearsome reputation. And so fear struck his heart. In every direction he looked, he was afraid. Have you ever noticed that when you come to a battle in life, it's not just usually one thing, that there's lots of other things comes in on the heels of it? And it seems to be every way you look and every turn you take, there's a problem. And the problems seem to be bigger than you've ever had your life before. And this is what it was like for this young man. F-E-A-R. Somebody said that's false expectations appearing real. 
false expectations appearing real. It was real enough, the soldiers were real enough, but his expectations were false. And oftentimes that's our problem, isn't it? We get afraid and we get the wrong expectations because fear controls us, how we think and how we act. Somebody said that fear is that little dark room where negatives are developed. <laughs> and we're good at developing negatives, aren't we? When something strikes at us. It's almost the instant response, isn't it? That's the same for me. I'm no different. But over the years, you learn to lean on him and trust in him and use your faith. And that immediate feeling begins to subside. Fear, fear only sees the problem. Fear only asks questions. It has no answers. Alas, master, what shall we do? Fear robs you of your confidence, of your assurance, of your hope. It brings confusion to our hearts and our minds. It makes us feel weak and vulnerable. It only asks questions. Fear never has any answers. And you will find in your mind and in your heart, going down that trail of question after question after question after question. And you'll not be speaking any answers. All you'll have are questions. And this is important here. Fear makes us forget who we are linked up with. I'll ask, Master, what shall we do? You and me, we. He looked around and he saw the mass of an army. And he thought, there's only you and me. There's just us here. And he forgot at that moment actually who he was linked up with. Elisha was the nearest to God on earth that this young man had ever known. This was a miracle worker. This is a man who'd done incredible things by believing God. And he had seen them. He had been part of them. But when fear struck, he forgot that. He forgot who he was linked up with. And you and I are linked up with the greatest prophet that ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's who we're linked up with. Greater than Elisha, greater than Elijah, greater than Moses, greater than any of the prophets. Hallelujah. But a fear hits you. There can be a moment you forget who you're linked up with. Alas, Master, what shall we do? You and I have got a hotline to heaven. We've got Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father who makes intercession for us. We've got the Holy Spirit, our intercessor on earth, who lives inside us. We've got the very angels of God for us. We've got the Word of God for us. Let's not forget who we're linked up with. Amen. And faith, by the way, is our link to heaven. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
Fear talks defeat before the battle has even started. Alas, master. Alas. It's an awful defeatist word, isn't it? Just by saying, alas. You know, he just, he just had totally, completely, and utterly given up. Alas, what shall we do? It's hopeless. It's too much. It's too big. It's been on too long. Alas. And that's where he had got to. You remember the young prophet who was helping to build one of the schools of the prophets and he was out cutting down a tree and the axe head flew off and into the river. Remember what he says to Elijah? Alas, master, for it was borrowed. Alas, I'm done for. It's gone. It's in the river. You never can get it now. It's sunk to the bottom. But he did get it back because the prophet got it back for him. Muhammad Ali was probably arguably the greatest heavyweight boxer that ever lived. Very athletic, very strong, extremely fast. That chippy up the road there, it's shut down, it's closed down. For years they had a great big photo of him and, it, and I always smiled when in there because you couldn't help but laugh at the things he said. He says, I'm so fast, he says, when I s flick my switch in the bedroom, I'm in bed before it gets dark. He's <laughs> 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 an amazing character. But most of his opponents were beaten before they ever got in the ring with him. He told them, I'm going to knock you out in three. I'm going to knock you out in five. I'm going to knock you out in one. And the trouble is they believed it. And yet you could see them visibly sweating bullets when they get into the ring. And when he was in the ring fighting with them, he talked to them. He talked in their ear. He was fighting George Foreman one time. And George Foreman was good, but he was getting hammered. And he had him up against the ropes. And Foreman, <laughs> he told the told story later. He says, Muhammad Ali says to me, George, you're getting tired, and this is no place to be tired. <laughs> And he says he was absolutely right. I was tired, and it was no place to be tired. So what I'm saying was, he had his opponents beat before they ever got into the ring. And sometimes we're like that in the battle. We're beat before it even starts because of fear. It strikes at us. Fear assumes the battle is ours and not the Lord's. Alas, Master, what shall we do? It's just you and me. Look at the many of them there are, but it's just you and me. What shall we do? No talk of the Lord in this battle, as far as he was concerned. It's just you and me. You remember how Goliath, out in the valley of Elah, he stood there for 40 days, shouting at the children of Israel, that great big nine-foot giant who was bombastic, his big voice must have echoed around over the valley. Send out a man. 
that we may fight. And if he beats me, we'll serve you. If I beat him, you'll serve us. But send out a man. Just one. Pick your best. Get your champion. I'm their champion. You get your champion. And there'll just be the two of us in the valley. Of course, he was very, very confident. And after 40 days, he sure was come because not one person stood up to him until little David came. Four foot in his sock soles. A little runt. And he comes. Remember what he said? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this man who's not of the covenant? He's uncircumcised. God's not with him. He's not a covenant man. God's with us because we're covenant men. <laughs> That's what he was saying. You and I are covenant men and women. New covenant men and women. The Lord Jesus Christ cut a covenant with the Father for us. And it's sealed in his own blood. So we belong. We're covenant people. And if you're a covenant man or woman and you're for the covenant, the covenant's for you. If you're for God, God is for you. If you're for Christ, Christ is for you. Amen. So your battle is his battle. Amen. Always remember, in the struggle, in the battle, he is on your side. He's for you. Fear assumes the battle is ours and not the Lord's. But as soon as you realize God's on your side, you're a covenant man, you're a covenant woman. And that means one with God's a majority. And it doesn't matter how big Goliath is, how massive the problem is, God's bigger. <laughs> and you know the end of that story how little David slew big Goliath and the Philistines were routed because their champion fell and he cut off his head so that's the reaction of fear but what's the response of faith the first thing the prophet said was Fear not. He could see it in his face. He could see it in his eyes. He must have been sheet white. So he says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Faith speaks assurance, confidence, hope, peace, calmness. Remember Jairus came to Jesus. He said, would you please come? My little daughter is at the point of death. And Jesus went with him. And then the little woman with the issue of blood interrupted the two of them on their way to Jairus' home. And that took a few moments. And there was a big crowd that was pushing and shoving. It wasn't easy to make a quick progress. 
But by the time they got to Jairus' house, the mourners come out and says, don't trouble the master any further. Your daughter's dead. And Jairus must have thought, all my best effort has failed. I tried. I did my best, but my best was not good enough. And now my daughter's dead. And fear must have came upon him because Jesus looked at him and says, don't be afraid. It was written all over his face. Didn't need to be a prophet to see that. Don't be afraid. And you know how Jesus went in to the room, put everybody out, went in and spoke to that little girl and raised her from the dead. But it's notable the first thing he says is don't be afraid. Only believe. It's hard to believe and be full of fear at the same time, isn't it? Genesis 26, 24, God said to Isaac, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. Isaac was not like his father Abraham. His father Abraham was a man of great faith, of daring, of boldness, of courage. And it seems to be that Isaac was not like that. Isaac was a more mild, softer, gentler man, weaker in many ways. Perhaps given to fear, But God says, do not fear for I am with you. Just the way I was with your father, I'm going to be with you. What an encouragement. And Isaiah 41. Verse 10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isn't that encouraging? Sometimes you just need to go to the Word of God. When fear's rising up, you need to go to the Word of God and get encouraged. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Say, This is what the Lord's saying. Fear not, I am with you. I Be not dismayed, for I am your God. You say, well, you know, God's great for other people. No, he's my God too. He's just the same God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In chapter 43 of Isaiah, just over the page. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Yes, I know he's talking to Israel about that, but we can accept that too. Sometimes we go through the fire and through the waters and all the rest of it. And God doesn't always 
take those things away that we don't go through them, but he's in us, he's with us in the midst of it. The king says, I'm looking into the fiery furnace. Did we not put three in there? But I see four in there. Is he not with us in those times? Absolutely he is. So the response of faith is, fear not. And also to acknowledge that while we live in an earthly kingdom, we live for a heavenly kingdom. And as we live for that kingdom, that kingdom lives for us. If God be for us, who can be against us? The prophet says, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. The young man could only see them. That's all he could see. And it was enough to make him afraid. But the prophet not only saw them, he saw those who were with them. He saw the hosts of evil spirits that were driving them, that were energizing them. But he could see the heavenly hosts. And he says, there's more with us than there are with them. So you and I as believers have an understanding, so we have an advantage. Oftentimes what comes against us is not just flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against principalities and powers and so forth. Now again, let me reiterate, and I said this a few weeks ago in another context, every squeak at the door is not a demon. There's some people, ah, drive me nuts. But there's no question there will be in our times when there are spiritual forces that are behind certain attacks. And there's people who will go out of their way to do you real harm. And half times they don't even know the reason why. But there's a spirit energizing that against you. And we understand that. But we also understand there's more with us than there is with them. And that's what gives us confidence that God is with us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Doesn't matter how big Goliath is. Doesn't matter how many of them there are. If God is for us, who can be against us? So, you got to realize that the odds are stacked in your favor. In this world, the odds is always against you. <coughs> Bookies don't go broke. Casinos doesn't close because the odds is always in their favor not in the favor of the punter. And that's why, as Raymond told me years ago, when you go into a bookmaker shop, there's three or four windows where you pay in, but there's only one window you pay out. Because the odds are always against you. 
And then you'll see on TV, the lotto this week is worth 20 million pounds. One person will get that 20 million pounds. How many millions lost their money for that one person to get their 20 million? Odds is always stacked against you. But in God's kingdom, the odds is stacked in our favor. Always. Always. And that's why we can win. The odds is always in our favor. In Psalm 3, Verse 1, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, the one who lifts up my head. Glory to God. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, and the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. <laughs> ah, isn't that lovely? Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My praise shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Glory to God. Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Glory to God. Sometimes you just need to look at these promises of God. Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, verse 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment. Somewhere at some point at some time, a tongue will rise against you in judgment, but you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. And so, realize the odds are stacked in your favor. And then finally, as we close, 
the response of faith. Fear not. Acknowledge the kingdom that you live in, live for. Realize the odds are stacked in your favor. And finally, to encourage the faith of those around you. Remember what the prophet said? We read it. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Let him see what I'm seeing. I know he can't see it. And that's why he's afraid. If he could see what I see, he wouldn't be afraid anymore. So Lord, would you open his eyes too? And suddenly the Lord opened his eyes and he could see what the prophet was seeing. And everything changed from that point on. If only we could see through God's eyes and see what God sees see the bigger picture and see how he's in control of our lives. Psalm, sorry, Isaiah 35, I'll just read this in closing. Isaiah 35, verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Sometimes you just need to encourage somebody. They're going through something. They're afraid of their future. They're afraid of what's happening. They're afraid of what's going to happen. Sometimes you just need to encourage them. And turn to a scripture, just like I've read there. There's lots of them. And say, here's a promise of God. Here's what the Lord says. Here's what the book is saying. And encourage them that their faith will rise again and that fear will subside and their faith will carry them through into victory and into success to the glory of God. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.